The automobile is one of the most important inventions that revolutionized the modern world. In America, the rich history of car culture runs deep as technology continues to shape the future of the industry. Jason Stein, publisher of Automotive News, is here to share the stories of people passionate about cars, from industry leaders and innovators to car-obsessed celebrities. Buckle up as Jason takes you inside the boardroom, onto the track, and around the bend on Cars and Culture on Sirius XM Business Radio. Welcome to Cars and Culture. I'm automotive news publisher Jason Stein in Detroit. Rick Hendrick was never supposed to be where he is today. Not if you consider where he started. It was a soybean and cotton field in Bentonsville, South Carolina. An ambitious 26-year-old Rick Hendrick stood on Highway 401, where he and his wife looked directly at a makeshift dealership in the middle of a swamp. This was where Chevrolet said he would get his opportunity. At 23, Hendrick had already opened a small used car lot with an established North Carolina dealer, and his success convinced the dealer to name him general sales manager. But he wanted his own store, which led to the worst performing store in the Chevy network. If Rick Hendrick was going to make it here, well, Chevrolet said he could make it anywhere. The middle of nowhere and the epicenter of opportunity. And at 26, he was the youngest Chevrolet dealer in the United States. His influence sparked a dramatic sales increase as the once troubled location soon became the region's most profitable. And Rick Hendrick has never looked back. One Chevy store became many more, which eventually became an empire. And today, Hendrick Automotive is a powerhouse, generating nearly $10 billion in revenue after selling 219,000 vehicles last year and servicing 2.4 million cars and trucks. It's now the largest privately held automotive retail organization in the United States. But that's only half of the success story. Combine a passion for cars at dealerships with a passion for cars in general, especially racing, and you've got an empire. And in racing, Hendrick Motorsports is a ball of fire. Founded in 1984, the team won three races that first year in NASCAR and never stopped finding victory lane. When Kyle Larson crossed the finish line on Memorial Day weekend, Hendrick Motorsports became the winningest team in NASCAR history. 273 Cup Series wins and 13 Cup Series Owners and Drivers Championships. The win eclipsed the record held by Petty Enterprises, which had held the mantle since 1960. Kyle Larson wins the Coca-Cola 600. Rick Hendrick, career win 269. A short list of some of his own drivers, Jeff Gordon, Jimmy Johnson, Dale Earnhardt Jr., are legendary. And his success even spawned a movie starring Tom Cruise and Robert Duvall in Days of Thunder, where Hendrick served as technical leaders and an inspiration for the film. You didn't know how this thing was going to turn out, did you? It's like you said, it's, uh, there's nothing you can't do in a race car. We won. We won. Now, can you walk? Or am I going to have to carry you? But he's also had his share of heartbreak. On October 24, 2004, 10 people associated with Hendrick Motorsports lost their lives in a plane crash while en route from Concord, North Carolina, to a small airport near Martinsville Speedway. One of the victims was Rick's son. 12.30 yesterday afternoon, the Hendrick Motorsports Beach 200 disappeared from the radar, trying to land at the tiny Blue Ridge Regional Airport outside of Martinsville. Among the yeah, 10 uh, killed in the crash, John Hendrick, track. brother of Rick Wouldn't and president of the company, now. Ricky Hendrick, Rick's son, and retired NASCAR driver. But Rick Hendrick vowed to stay strong and continue on by dedicating himself to his Hendrick team members in racing and at his dealerships. The family got tighter. Kind, Passionate, business savvy, and car crazy, Rick Hendrick is an icon within the auto industry, a powerhouse, and my next guest today on Cars and Culture with Jason Stein. Rick, welcome into Cars and Culture. It's my total pleasure to have you as a guest. How are you? I'm doing great. It's good to be with you today. Well, thank you for being with me. And for a guy who I know is always thinking and planning and always has uh, news, uh, news to deliver projects on the go, what are you up to these days? Well, I'm just trying to uh, sell cars and race cars. And, uh, you know, just business is, is good right now, both sides of our business. And, uh, you know, I think in our business, in both racing and in the automobile business, we have to be ready to call audibles and uh, adjust daily to what uh, 
what we have, what we see in the market and, um, you know, changes that we have to make. And it's nothing in today's world is guaranteed. So, uh, you have to be, be ready to change on the fly. So, uh, business is good and, uh, you know, we're enjoying it. We, I've never, I've never had so much asphalt in my life. <laughs> right. <on> it, but, <laughs> well, it's a shortage but of cars. Yeah. Right, exactly. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Most of our listeners might not appreciate that issue that's gone going in the auto industry related to semiconductors, of course. Some have described it, Rick Hendrick, as being one of the most unique situations that they've ever been in in the auto business. Would you say the same thing? You know, I have been in the business for 45 years so I've seen the era of oil embargo. I've seen, I don't know, everything that you could look at. 21% interest rates, uh, cash for clunkers, uh, you know, the bottom falling out of the, the economy. But this has been the strangest uh, period that I've ever experienced with the COVID situation and the shutdowns and then trying to work around those situations with a skeleton crew for essential businesses and then to come out of it just on fire i think a lot of people don't want to ride share and they want a car and so we've we've run out of cars so you know it's 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 like christmas people are, are waiting for cars that are in the plant and in the pipeline and uh they they come in when the tr- when the trucks unload and it's it's the most amazing time that I've ever seen in the car business. In fact, a lot of people even ordering vehicles while the cars are on the haulers on the way to the dealership. <laughs> it's a it's a crazy time for for those who um, maybe don't understand the intricacies of it. Um, put simply, the the factories can't produce the vehicles that you need, right? That's that's right. Well, you, you look at the, it's not only the the, the chips that's a problem it's the the plants going down for covid and so when the market comes back and we're looking at a you know 17 million unit car year and uh they can't build them i mean i I was talking to one of the manufacturers that said you know we're we're 150 percent need over 100 we can we can build if we build 100 percent, we need 150 percent and it's just i don't see any way to catch up i mean it's like it's probably going to be everyone i've talked to in the industry from the manufacturing side say it's it's probably going to be next summer before we see we're we're used to seeing 60 90 day supply of vehicles on the ground and uh you're just not going to see that i mean right now we're some manu some franchises we're two days uh six days 12 days and we at literally and a chevy store that you know you carry you know five or six hundred cars you've got 20 vehicles on the lot you're selling 250 a month uh, and they're just coming in as soon as they come in they go out and you know people are you know they're just hungry for a vehicle and you tell them we've got this car coming and now we're running we're in a, in a situation where everything we've got coming basically is pre-sold. That's amazing. When you think of all those, as you said, you've never seen so much uh, concrete and asphalt in your life without yeah. any vehicles <laughs> sitting on it uh, because you've always had inventory. And uh, this is the nature of the car business is that, especially in America, when you go down to the dealer lot, you pick out something you want. It's, it's not a European model of, of build to order, but we could be getting there, right, Rick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the manufacturers are seeing this too. That not a lot of floor plan costs, incentives to to move product, and you know the customer's happier. That's the that's the thing that I've seen. If someone's looking at a Toyota, for example, and they're shopping for dealers, and they're they're on, they're online, and they're they're calling the different dealers, and they are uh, everybody's cutting the price, and who's going to go the lowest? So if they're you know, maybe fifteen hundred under cost to sell a car, and the customer's thinking, well, should I have? Could I got another hundred dollars over at this other guy? So when they bought the car, it was like, you know, they're not quite as not happy. They're not sure they got the best deal. Now, when they when they take the car when it comes off the truck, they're so excited. It's like Christmas, you know. Wow. And uh, it's a better buying experience for. Uh, 
for the uh, for the for the customer. And I think people are happier. I mean, I know they don't want to wait; they want a car now. But uh, you know, they they're excited uh, to see it, and it's just a different attitude, a different climate. I I kind of hope we don't go back to these massive inventories, and you're in all these incentives and and uh, trying to force the market. I I would like to be somewhere around just in time, you know, and every, and mm. I think the manufacturers would like to do that too. What did you learn during COVID, Rick Hendrick? I learned, uh, you know, that you, you have to have your best people in place and uh, you really find out who is on the team and who's willing to roll up their sleeves and do whatever it takes. And, uh, during COVID, I didn't lay off anybody. I just uh, was determined that I was going to pay our people 80% of what they normally make and keep the team together. And uh, it benefited us a lot uh, rolling out of it. And the, the, the one thing we did learn is you put your best people on leads that come into the dealership. You know, have managers taking the calls because we wanted to work the deal the best possible way because there weren't a lot of opportunities, but we wanted to close the ones that came in. So it, it kind of reset our clock a little bit where we had more uh, managers involvement on the front end of the deal and uh, just doing whatever we had to do to, to, to satisfy the customer, uh, deliver the car at home, uh, take it, uh, you know, it's, it's every state was different. I'm in 14 states and, and California is totally different than North Carolina or, or Kansas. And, uh, but we learned to adapt to take advantage of the leads and not, uh, just have anybody taking the lead, but have our best people on it, work the deal thoroughly. And, uh, I think we, we just, again, we learned who our players and our strongest players on the team were. And uh, we only had one rough month, uh, April. Uh, we, you know, it hit us in the middle of March. We shut down. Then we started coming out of it a little bit in May. And then we had some really awesome months. And we had the best, you know, year uh, that we ever had in 20. And we were ahead of that in 21. Well, that's amazing. You think of all the years you've been in the car business. <laughs> And I know it didn't start that way, Rick. Uh, I want to start. I, I want to go back to where it all started. I want to start with the soybean and cotton field in Bennettsville, <laughs> yeah. South Carolina. So you're 26, well, right? And you're coming yeah. from Raleigh, North Carolina, where you had opened right. a, a small used car lot with an established right. dealer in the area. Right. You were named the general sales manager of the new car import operation. Funny to think of those terms, the import operation. Yeah. By the time you were 23. You had about 30 salesmen underneath you, sold about 300 cars a month all in. But Chevy right. comes to you and offers you an opportunity to run your own dealership. And you wanted to go run your own store. And that's where we get down to Highway 401, just past yeah. the county line in Bennettsville. Yeah. There's a house there in the middle of a swamp. Yeah. Yeah. Describe that dealership for me. Well, in fact, you said at one point, you said there was nothing there. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, uh, when I was contacted by GM and they said, we have three deals and, uh, and, and they told me where they were. And I said, which, which, and they said, now here's the deal. If you can turn it around, we'll get you a bigger opportunity. And, uh, and I said, okay, where, where's the deal that's in the most trouble? And they said, Bennettsville, South Carolina. So I told my wife, I said, you know, we're going to, let's ride down there and take a look at it. And I said, you know, probably it's going to be in the middle of a cornfield. Well, we go to the south, we go across the state line from North Carolina to South Carolina, and there's a swamp on the state line with an old house and falling down in it. And I'm like, okay. And we drive down into Bennettsville, and the first thing I see is a Chevy sign in the middle of a bean field, when the cornfield is bean field, and uh, no showroom, uh, just and I'm like, I don't think so. I'm, I'm in Raleigh, <laughs> North Carolina. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this is, this is, and I grew up in a small town in a, on a tobacco farm, but this is, uh, 
this is a little bit much. So, well, in fact, you and, in in Palmer Springs, Virginia, you called it a poor ass farm that you grew up yeah, in. It was a yeah. Well, the only thing that was a crossroads and a and a cucumber shed and a general store, and uh, you know, you you would borrow a tractor from a neighbor if you had a problem. If a neighbor lost a barn, you would go help them. And I learned a lot of values from my dad growing up in that area that you have to depend on people you take care of each other and i think i've tried to use that throughout my career but that was that was a good lesson but i knew i didn't want to do that for a living i knew that was not what i wanted to do but he taught me working on farm equipment and we raced and i raced when i was 15 years old so it it taught me how to work on cars and also i wouldn't take anything for it but here i go in and start a used car operation and take over a I import deal with uh, BMW, Mercedes, and Honda doing really well, and I get, you know, recruited. And I drive down there, and I think, man, this is uh, this is this selling 200, less than 200 cars a year total, and they just were out of business, and it didn't have a showroom. Now the rent was eighteen hundred dollars a month. Wow! I mean, if you can, if you can, if you can believe that. So, mm. um, you know, but. We rolled up our sleeves, and uh, I actually got a cold feet, and my wife said, hey, you, you want to do this? You might as well. Let's try it. We can start over. So I give her credit for that, and uh, and sure enough, we, we were successful, and uh, Chevy called and said, can you handle a big deal? And and uh, and I said, yeah, I can do, I, I've got somebody that will back me, and, and uh, so went to Charlotte in city Chevrolet and I walked into this nice Chevy store that wouldn't sell a four speed Corvette, uh, didn't offer F and I in 1977. And, uh, if you ask for it, they do it. And I just took the statement. I said, okay, if I do, I'm, I know I can do 150 used cars here, a hundred anyway, and I can do the, this, this, and this fixed operation was, bulletproof and new car business they had good new car business and i said i can just plug this and man this is going to be a home run and and it really was sure I mean, enough it was I, yeah i have to give chevrolet credit back in those days uh they if they they determined who got the deals and i remember uh detroit had some folks in mind for that deal but the zone manager said look this this young man went down here and fixed this deal and we told him that he'd have a bigger opportunity. He went from a big deal down here to do this, and we want him to have this opportunity. And uh, that was a platform that everything grew from. At 26, you were the youngest Chevy dealer in the United States. Yep. Incredible. Yeah. <laughs> people, people would ask me, was your dad in the business? And I'd say, no, my dad's a farmer. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I just love cars and uh while I was going to school, I worked at a service station and and um, actually diagnosed the car at an auction for the dealer I went to work for, Mike Leith. And uh, you know, he told me, "I don't want to, don't want you to quit school." I was in a co-op deal with Westinghouse, but I was working in a station, and I and I went with a wholesaler to an auction, and he had a problem with a car. I went out and diagnosed it as a burnt valve, and then. Later in the day, he had a Chevelle with a clutch out of it and couldn't get a bid on it. I said, I'll take it if you can get it back to to Raleigh for me. And uh, my mother worked at a bank, and, and, and I could a teller, and I could get a 90-day note. So I I would buy the car, fix it, and turn around and sell it and, and get another one. So that's Always an entrepreneur. Business. Always oh, an entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you look at... Today, Rick, um, billions in revenue on an annual basis, hundreds of thousands of vehicles that are sold, millions serviced, and an organization which employs more than 10,000 people, you're a long way from that soybean field. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I think about that a lot, and uh, we just uh, passed Petty Enterprises for the most wins in NASCAR, in the history of NASCAR. Mm Mm-hmm. And I loved the two things I loved in life outside of my family was, was, you know, racing and the automobile business. And I, my wife and I laugh about it all the time. 
we stood in the back of a Piggly Wiggly in Venezuela, uh, South Carolina, and would add our money up to make sure we had, uh, you know, enough to check out. We didn't have too much food. Uh, that uh, let me back up. That was not in Venezuela. That was before Venezuela when I was in school. But today, I look at what our what our companies have accomplished, and you know my belief it's it's all about people we're in the people business and if you can surround yourself with great people and i've been blessed to have uh just awesome folks i've got so many people that have been with me a lot of them are retired now but uh have been with me my top management team averages about 25 years and uh you know i thought it was really neat when i had somebody that was was with me 25 years i'd give him a rolex and so this year i gave 77 rolexes out so wow uh you know it uh but i've been blessed and i've been lucky and uh i love what i do and there's no you know there's there's no end to the day and i'm 72 now and i still my mind will take me places my body won't go but uh you know i i I love the business I, i love people I love the business and I love the competition. Let's talk about the racing. You just referenced that historic milestone for Hendrick Motorsports. Why'd you get involved with Hendrick Motorsports? How, why racing? I mean, you're 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 doing well in the car side of things, obviously in 1984, and then you decide you're going to start your own your own racing shop. Why is that? Well, I raced boats. Uh, I won world championships. Drag race boats. boats. Yeah, drag race boats. And uh, a friend of mine drove one of them, was killed, and I stored him over at uh, Harry Hyde, who was an old retired crew chief. And I had a guy that was uh, trying to help me find a sponsor for the boats that called me, and he said, hey, uh, would you be interested in being partners with Casey Spurlock and Kenny Rogers and start a race team with Richard Petty driving? And I said, well, is this a trick question? I mean, you know. <laughs> the Richard I, Petty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was selling parts to, I was selling parts to all the teams. So I was uh, kind of a conduit there in racing. So I knew everybody. And so we made a deal and Richard, Richard backed out on me uh, at the last minute. We, the name of the team was going to be All-Star Racing. We will have concerts in cities where, you know, the racetracks were. It was a great, great plan, and uh, Richard got talked into going with another team, and I don't blame him. I mean, here's a young kid that, that uh, a Chevy dealer there in town. He's going to start a race team. What does he know? And so it's pretty ironic. Next week, I'm going down to sit down with Richard, and we're going to video a story about him talking to me about coming to drive and then it didn't work out and now i've just passed him and all time wins and he tells me all the time he said look i'm i've got seven championships if i had gone with you i'd have more than that and so uh you know but we it's just amazing i started with about eight people in the car business and uh i started with uh with with five full-time people in the racing business and today we've got 650 people in racing and we've got uh, almost between 10 and 11,000 in in the car business and 430,000 square feet of workspace on 140 acres where (laughs) Hendrick Motorsports is and And, and that started with 5,000 square feet wow of, of rented space and and just an absolutely elite team to say the least. And your your friend and car owner Felix Sabates once said, "The people before you in racing, they were just happy to be racing and making a living at it. But you looked at it as a way to make money. There was a visionary piece of this that you brought to the sport. I've got to, well, be- you know, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> Would you agree? It, yeah. Well, I, you know, I never. I never intended to make money. I just intended not to lose my butt, but, uh, (laughs) but, uh, but I took a lot of the things I did in the automobile business to the racing business. And back in when I started that nobody really had a marketing arm, they let RJ Reynolds do the marketing for them, but the teams didn't market. So 
we use some of the things I did in the automobile business, working with people and sponsors and business B2B opportunities. And, and, uh, and then I also had started to add deals and I found out adding deals that I would take some of the best people and, uh, and a dealership I had and I'd have another opportunity and I'd move the number two guy, number one, move the other guy out. And so in racing, uh, it was unheard of. We started and won three races our first year. And, um, I was renting the parts. I was renting the shop. I, I did it on a shoestring because, uh, Spurlock and him backed out. And now here I was, I, I couldn't afford to do it. Uh, I, I raced, uh, six races and said, we're going to have to close the shop. I don't have a sponsor. And our crew chief said, Hey, Larry, I said, let's just go one more race. And, uh, we did and won. And, uh, we got a sponsor rest is history. And, uh, that's that my story in racing was the days of thunder movie with Tom Cruise. And, uh, and I look back at, I look back at all of it and just, you know, in life, you're so lucky when you meet people or, but if you work hard and you put good people together, uh, and you treat them right, then I believe, you know, it's hard to stop trains. And, uh, and if you get a, if you get a lot of people, we, we think we're like an elite fighting force. We're like seals. I do a lot of things for the military. We've built a lot of robotic Jeeps and we've done, we're doing the new, new chassis for the Chevrolet, uh, vehicle. And, um, we've got some guys that design things, but we, I look at those guys that are just absolutely shoulder to shoulder and I'm in a foxhole with them. I won't ask anybody in the company to do anything I won't do. I've worked on cars. I can still do, if it's old enough, I can work on it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, 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 I have fun with our people. Yeah, it's not a bad move to have Tom Cruise somehow affiliated with you either, is it? <laughs> no, no, it was fun. <laughs> Some say you're a, you're a risk taker. Uh, you, you, Felix also said you've taken a lot of chances over the years with drivers that most owners would consider a risk. When you think about Jeff Bodine, uh, Southern Sport, and Jeff's a Yankee. Yeah. Um, uh, Felix said, uh, as we say in Spanish, that takes some big cojones. Yeah. <laughs> Felix is a piece of work. Yeah. <laughs> no, but you know, it, when you're young, you're brave. And, uh, you know, you, you know, I, I would take any franchise when I first started out to Joe. Uh, I was the biggest Sterling dealer in the country. <laughs> uh, and, and then, I then, then I, you know, you went through a downturn and you, you, you say, Oh man, you almost lost it all. So you get a little bit, as you get older, you get wiser and you, you don't take as many chances as you did when you were young and early and you learn from your mistakes. And, you know, I tell our people all the time, Hey, I don't, I, I want to make a mistake one time. I don't want to, I don't want to do it multiple times. So we'll all learn together. So yeah, I, I was, a, I have been a little bit of a risk taker and in racing, I have a gut that, uh, if I see a guy that's got a lot of talent and, 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 I, and, you know, he's got to have the whole package. He can work with sponsors and so forth. But, uh, yeah, I, uh, I guess I have been pretty brave early on. <laughs> well, and you've had some enormous talent around you. And in fact, uh, Felix also said that, you know, driver talent better than anybody in NASCAR ever has. And we can think of a couple of names, one being Jimmy Johnson, who's been on this program and Jeff yeah. Gordon. Um, yeah. just, just incredible, historic NASCAR talent. Yeah. What was it like working with the two of them? You know, it, it, it's, it's amazing. They're like my sons, you know, both of them. And, uh, you know, Jeff, I met, I saw Jeff and said, man, this, this kid's got all the talent. And I took a chance, didn't have a sponsor. And, uh, everybody thought I was crazy back in those days when Jeff signed up, um, you had to, you had to have a pedigree for the top teams. You had to be about 35 years old. You know, you, you had to have a name. Probably your father was in it. And, uh, here I come with this kid and it changed the whole landscape of racing. Boy wonder. Uh, 
yeah, Moy Wonder, and then everybody's looking for the next Jeff Gordon. And uh, Jimmy Johnson, the same way. I watched him in stadium trucks when he was just a kid, 16. And uh, through Chevrolet and Herb Fischel, I said, you need to watch this guy. And uh, then then I have uh, Chase Elliott, 14 years old, 15 years old, winning races against some of the top stars on dirt tracks. And so I, I signed him up at, at 14. Now he's a, he's youngest, one of the youngest champions, just like Jeff. So spotting that talent early is, uh, is, is a good thing. But, um, when you see a guy that just has natural talent, I mean, car control, if you put him in the right position, he'll do well. And they did. Let me ask you um, about Jeff's ascension into your organization. Just recently announced in June that Jeff Gordon will effectively be number two to you in Hendrick Motorsports. That's got to be exciting for you. What does that mean to you to have Jeff within the organization now from a business perspective? Well, you know, Jeff is so sharp. He's a good businessman. He's a great businessman. Uh, But he knows racing and he knows he knows talent, but the thing that he's so good at is these young drivers respect him and, uh, he coaches them and he, he knows what the car takes and he's been there and he's a great ambassador for us with sponsors, um, and new sponsors and old sponsors, you know, you, you know, it's it, when Jeff Gordon shows up, the CEO wants to be there. You know, if, if I show up, I might get the third string, <laughs> you know, but, uh, <laughs> likely not, <laughs> I no, I'm just kidding. but, uh, but he just, he, he, he loves the, the competition side and he's so good with the young drivers and I've seen him work with them and he signed a deal with me back years ago for a lifetime deal. And so, uh, we have never had an argument. We've never had a misunderstanding. We've never had a lawyer get involved with a contract between us. And uh, so he's like a son to me. And and I just think it's uh, one of these days I might not be there and it'll be in good hands. I had lots of plans with my son and he was killed. But uh, Jeff has just uh, been super close to me. Let's talk about that day, if you don't mind. We're almost coming up to 20 years, amazingly, Rick. October 24th, 2004, you did not get on the Hendrick plane to go to Martinsville Speedway. You backed off at the last minute. Unfortunately, as you just mentioned, we know the tragedy. Your son, brother, two nieces, six employees. And Felix was actually there with you when the phone rang. And I imagine you live with that daily. Yeah, it's... uh... Yeah, you you know, uh, his his guy he had his fiance was was pregnant. We found out the day of the service, and we got the cutest little granddaughter who now is sixteen and and looks just like him. And uh, and we are very fortunate we get to have her with us a lot, and she uh, it, she just really fills a. A, a void that uh it doesn't replace him at all but it's a piece of him uh it, it, yeah that was the toughest toughest time of my life i uh you know i felt i just i didn't know if i could do it anymore i just i, I, I it was like a blur and i couldn't believe that we lost so many of my brother and and it just i just finished the facility with ricky's office next to mine and we had all these plans and, and, uh, and, you know, all of a sudden it wasn't God's plan. And, uh, and then, you know, I, I said, I'm, I've got to go out and see the people at motorsports had been about a, two weeks, a week and a half. And I walked into the building and everybody was weeping and, and I was, and my wife and my daughter. And, uh, and I said, you know, we can't, not carry on for these people that have given everything because Ricky had written when he was just a little boy in school racing runs through my veins like water through a brook Hmm. and uh you know uh 
he would have been better at it than you know at running it than I was and I would have been and I am and he uh yeah it's a it's a I lost a lot of friends and family that day and uh but you know you just you you go on to honor them and uh it's not a not a day that goes by or lots of times in a day that I don't think about him and miss him and think what it would be like if he was here but uh, you had called Jeff Gordon about a week later, and you said, I feel like a general in the Army it has been shot 15 times, but we're not the first American family to have a tragedy. Let's roll up our sleeves and be an example for others to go on. Yeah. I have learned that there's a fraternity that you don't want to be in, and that's losing a child. But I've had so many folks that I've talked to after they've had it, and we're... Uh, it's 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 so so hard but you know you just um the memories are good now you know we laugh jeff and i laugh a lot about some of the things my son did he didn't he didn't live that long but he lived a full life he had a good time and uh and you know it was um my brother had a a big bible study at uh, motorsports so they still do that in his name we have the ricky hendrick scholarships we had the Ricky Hendrick Disaster Fund for employees, and uh, so we we keep their names alive and uh, and and carry on. And uh, you know, I know that they that's what they'd want us to do. After the break, we'll hear more from Rick Hendrick about his passion for dealerships and racing, including his role as mediator when he once used grade school tactics to calm a fight between driver Jimmy Johnson and his crew chief Chad Knaus. And I had a gallon of milk and a bunch of cookies. And I said, guys, listen, all the things that you talked to me about are really, really unbelievable. So let's first thing, let's, let's have some milk and cookies. And then we're going to all, we're going to sit in the floor and have time out. And then, <laughs> and then, then after that, maybe we can get to the bottom of what the real, real problem is. And, uh, they started laughing and, uh, and, and I said, see how silly it is. I mean, you know, think about it. You guys win races, you can be champions and you're going to blow it all because you can't communicate. And so, so I got a counselor <laughs> to work with them and I worked with them and they laughed and then they, they went on to do big things, but it was so close to fracturing that deal over nothing really cars and culture on sirius xm business radio jason stein publisher of automotive news is here to share the stories of people passionate about cars from industry leaders and innovators to car obsessed celebrities cars and culture on sirius xm business radio welcome back into cars and culture i'm automotive news publisher jason stein in detroit now back to my interview with rick hendrick let's talk about teamwork and the importance of teamwork. Um, you had an interesting moment with uh, Jimmy Johnson and his former crew chief, Chad Knaus, yeah. over milk and cookies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it kind of it kind of got things going the right way from a very deep hole that the team was in to the top of the mountain, which you said at one point, I've been down a lot of roads before, but it's the first time I've ever seen something go so far south and turn around and go so well. Tell me about milk. Tell me about milk and cookies, Rick. Yeah, you know I had Jimmy. Here's Jimmy and Jimmy Johnson, the driver, and Chad Canals, the crew chief, and they start bickering. And this was early on. Oh five. And, uh, yeah, and and they uh, they were fighting, and and it was it was silly, and uh, you know they weren't talking at times, and uh, so both of them were kind of leaning toward maybe we should do something different. Maybe we should get, maybe I need a new crew chief. Maybe I need to be with another driver. And so it was so petty. I, I, I said, I told him, I said, I want to get together with you and, uh, come to my office. Well, the so boss is came, calling him to the office. <laughs> oh yeah. I called him on the carpet and I had a gallon of milk and a bunch of cookies. And I said, Guys, listen, all the things that you talked to me about are really, really unbelievable. So let's first thing, let's let's have some milk and cookies 
and then we're going to all we're going to sit in the floor and have time out and then <laughs> and then then after that maybe we can get to the bottom of what the real real problem is and uh they started laughing and uh and and i said see how silly it is i mean you know think about it you guys win races you can be champions and you're gonna blow it all because you can't communicate and so so i got a counselor <laughs> to work with them and i worked with them and they laughed and then they, they went on to do big things but it was so close to fracturing that deal over nothing really but that was a good meal and, and milk and cookies moment. I use that a lot, though, <laughs> to people. <laughs> well, and your philosophy, Rick, is get it out on the table, talk about it, and yeah. at least try to keep some harmony in the camp. Yeah. Yeah, you can't, you can't, the team can't reach its potential if the two guys that are leaders are having a problem. You know, they got to, they've got to lead by example and get the team all behind them because we had some of the guys who were on Chad's side, some of the guys on the team were on Jimmy's side. It fractures the team. And I said, look, we got to, you know, you guys just have got to work on this and, and I will separate you, but you don't know what you're going to get. You don't know who your next crew chief will be. And he may not be able to adjust the car, but you might like him and that's going to kill your, kill your future. So and same with Chad and, and they really, laughed and talked and we we said okay now I'll, I'll be the mediator tell me what you don't like about chad hmm. and, and jimmy would say and i said and chad what do you what do you not like about jimmy and uh and so we and and we we worked it out you're a camp counselor <laughs> i'm a counselor yeah man <laughs> terry labonte once said that nobody can motivate people like rick hendrick he said and he never has to say a word how do you do that I don't know. <laughs> I, I I think I don't. Uh, I I don't. I really do like to talk about the positives and and talk a lot about leadership and and working together. Communication's key, and and you know problems can be solved if you if you'll face them and work together and don't be hard headed about what you want so much. And and then when you have to get into it and get stern or hold people accountable they react because you don't do it every day you you're mostly positive wanting to lead and uh motivate but when you when you've got someone that's not in line one one cancer in a camp will kill it all so you know we always say that you'll never tear down a good organization from the outside it'll always come from the inside so just trying to make sure you identify those little fractures before they become too big. Whether it's the car dealership world or the racing world, I've got to believe you're involved, you know, like your colleague and friend, Roger Penske, you're involved in all the details every day. Yeah. Is that right, Rick? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Roger's a good buddy of mine. We're, uh, I tell him all the time, he's my hero. <laughs> and, uh, but like on the, on the, on the automobile side, the end of the month, I spend three days, on a video conference with all the, all the, 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 the dealerships, I'll do the, the Chevy group together. I'll do the Chrysler group together. I'll do BMW and Lexus together. And I'll, I'll, I'll go through, it takes me three days, but we're all on a, on a conference call on a video call. And we, and I go through every department and every deal, it's 102 of them. And, uh, and I go through the inventory and then, and the, the the day supply and the gross per unit new and used and and uh, you know customer counts how many ROs we've done and and then I rank the deals which is really <laughs> fun you know the, the highest gross from the least amount of gross and the the penetration on the warranties and everything and we we rank everybody rank every every group and that takes me three days but at the end of that I've touched everybody in every deal and I know exactly what they're doing and I know uh, who's who needs help and when we finish that call I'll do a recap with the market area VPs and I'll say this is what I see that we need to work on and these are the hot hot sheet these are the 10 deals and uh, so it's worked 
And I just think it's communication. I think uh, I used to go around and shake every hand in every deal every year, and I just can't do it anymore. I mean, it's just too big, too many people. And when I get in the store, it'll take me, you know, three. You probably can't get out. Day. Right. No, you, you can't get out. Yeah. <laughs> And you're in, and you're still actively involved in racing. Oh yeah, yeah. Spend some time yeah, down I, at the shop floor. I go, uh, yeah. The, they have a meeting uh, on uh, Mondays right after the race, and they recap the race, the drivers and the crew chiefs, and I I get in the middle of that just to listen, and and then I might have some observations, and then my job is again working with sponsors and and uh, just identifying areas that I see from the outside. And, uh, and, and just, uh, I, I wear both hats. I mean, I, it, I'm, 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 I'm having to call audibles all the time, but, uh, you know, it's, um, it's fun. I love it. I love the racing. I love the comp- competition. Uh, I love the car business. I love the people and, uh, I love being around them. I, I love seeing a young guy have an opportunity, uh, no different than the car business. You know, we we like to grow our own. We have the Hendrick University, and we have a leadership uh, university, and and it's work work a week, and you go back, and it takes a couple of years to get through it. But and then those guys, usually ladies and gentlemen, uh, get promoted, and and uh, we we just feel like if you want to have a culture, you're gonna have to. You're gonna have, you, you can't convert people at an old age. You know, it's hard to do that. When you, when you buy a deal, it's different. Those are the hardest things when you, when you have to convert an, another group uh, to your way of doing stuff. What's the state of NASCAR today? Where, did, where can it improve? How can it improve? I think um, we're seeing more interest, uh, more fans. Uh, we're going to this new car next year. I think the competition is really good right now, um, and more people are watching it. Uh, new sponsors are, you know, interested in it. So, I, I, when you look at the crowds we're having and selling out places, uh, that's a great sign. And the economy seems to be rolling pretty good, and uh, our our fans um, are showing up and they're camping and. And uh, it, it's, it feels better than it has in probably four or five years. And you've changed your mind on a couple of things, one related to drivers competing in a race car outside of the NASCAR Cup Series. Boy, you've done some homework on me. Golly, <laughs> day. I'm impressed. I am impressed. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I, I tell you, I, I've changed my mind because – you know, they learn so much by driving high-horsepower high cars uh, out of shape. And the only negative, the only negative to it is getting hurt. And I tell them, hey, listen, I'm not going to stop you from doing it. But if you get hurt, i got to put somebody else in the car. So you, you just weigh the, the, the positives and the negatives. Is it, is it worth the risk? And, uh, you know, I, Larson was won a big race, uh, last Saturday night, one of the biggest sprint car races in the country. And I YouTube to see the end of the race and they had this segment, Larson flipping. And so I, I punched it and it showed flips that he'd done crashes. <laughs> and I thought, oh man, I sent him a note and I said, and you need to, I, I'm not sure I like this. And he said, you're not supposed to be looking at that. Well. <laughs> he loves the dirt tracks too. Oh, he loves it. He loves Kyle it. Larson. Yeah. He loves them. Favorite moments when you think back, when you trace back your, uh, your, your, uh, racing career, what's, what really pops out? The, um, I know that's hard. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you, been fortunate enough to win Indy and Daytona and all that. But the proudest moment for me was when my son won the inaugural truck race in Kansas and uh, the emotions and with my wife and I and and Ricky, that was, that's, that's the one that 
will go down with me as the most heartfelt, exciting, uh, because you see your son do something that he wanted to do so bad and, uh, and, and do so well in it. And so that's the one. Well, I'll leave you on this. Jeff Gordon once said he's just an amazing person in so many ways. To me, he's the guy you want to be. He's a family guy. He's a great businessman. He's competitive, yet he knows how to relax. Now, Rick Hendrick, I know when it comes to fishing, you get on a boat at about 7 a.m., and you might not come back till 8 p.m. if you haven't yeah. caught enough fish. Yeah. So you're still fishing? I'm still fishing as much as I, <laughs> as much as I can. Yeah, I... Uh... I, I love, love saltwater fishing, and uh, I like I love Cabo in October, and love you know Costa Rica, and uh, and I fish in the Keys, and I I have uh, trips with my some of my top guys. They compete to uh, go fishing with me, and and I use that as an excuse to go fishing. <laughs> that's 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 my hall pass. I can. Uh, Hey, I've got to take these guys, you know, they won this trip. So no, I love it. It's just something about being on the water. Uh, I, I love being in the, on the water in boats. I've got some, uh, I got a couple of fast boats that I run on the water. I just, a, it's just a relaxing, my mind gets off of all the other things and water is just special. for me. It goes back to the start of those racing days. That's right. That's exactly right. Well, on the moment of passing Richard Petty, I, I got to give you Richard's ultimate compliment to you. He said he he deserves everything he's got, and he's good people on top of that. Oh well, I'm I'm uh, I'm honored to hear that. And Richard, Richard, Richard said something. Kyle said something the other day about uh, Rick Hendrick's organization is family, and Petty's are family, and some are not. And I thought, boy, those kind of things mean more to me than trophies because that's what I try to do. And if it comes across that way, you can you can be competitive and you don't have to be brutal and you don't have to be. I mean, I, I mean, I'm going down. I asked Richard. I said, hey, can can I just come sit with you and, and for archives for me, video us talking through what could have been and 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 just our way back then. And he said, sure. So, uh, I'm, I thank you for saying that. I, 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 uh, I believe that treating people right and doing the right thing, you can still be super successful. You've treated us right here on the show. Thanks for spending so much time with me, Rick Hendrick. Absolutely. Thanks to Rick Hendrick and his Hendrick team members. And thanks for listening to cars and culture. I'm Jason Stein in Detroit, and we'll see you down the road.